Hello, Theologizers. Uh, this is Ben making his valiant return to the Theobros podcast. Uh, today we're going to be doing part two of the topic that Brett introduced on his solo mish last time, which is dreams, the concept of the dreams we have and how that relates to uh, Christian truth and how that fulfills our longings and our dreams. Indeed, theologizers, indeed. I am back, and this time I don't have to carry the whole workload myself. Like We can distribute this, uh, this work for this podcast between uh, me, Ben, and Tori. Listening to just you for an hour is like is like the slow drip of honey into your ear hole, <laughs> seeping into your brain and, and soothing your neurons. It's what Turkish delight is to Edmund, is my voice to the theologizers. <laughs> um, no, the, the point is... is it's, Listening to Brett is a piece of Turkish delight slowly melting on your tongue. Or nails scratching on a chalkboard, you know, one of the two. I don't know. But it, my point is, is I'm glad to have some additional voices on here with me, and you probably are too. So uh, excited to get this second episode, uh, part two of our dream series. And once again, we have uh, our theosis, Tori, with us. Hello, everybody. Hey, Tolo. Hey, good to be back. All right, Theologizers, so after my uber too-passionate take, um, I have Ben and Tori to uh, bring us down to earth again on this topic of dreams. So we want to piggyback on, on kind of what, what I started to describe last episode about how it's so important to keep our dreams alive in life and how that is what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. Because life is always an adventure. It's always there's always something to look forward to. And that's not only this life, that's gonna be our eternity as well. There's always gonna be an anticipation, there's always gonna be an adventure, there's always gonna be a movement forward. And part of that is is these dreams and these expectations that we have for for good things, for fullness of life. And and that's why it, it is so very important to always keep these childlike dreams alive as we progress through our faith. So guys, do you, do you agree with this concept? What are your thoughts on just your initial thoughts on, on the correlation between our, our dreams and our longings and the Christian faith? I thought it was interesting that you mentioned life still being an adventure, like after death, like in heaven. It reminds me of a Christian mystics class that I took. And one of the the theologians that we read, his perception of heaven was that it was like a constant journey, which in which you're discovering more and more of God, but it like never ends. Like once you get to another level, there's a new level to like explore and get to. And it was like a continuation of the journey. And there's no like, like oh, now you fully comprehend God, like you're constantly and I thought that was a really interesting idea, concept. Was the that Taller? That, that rings a bell. Okay. I thought I know Taller that name. Was, I thought that was the one you wrote on. Oh. Oh, I did write on Taller. I don't know if this is the <laughs> same guy. Um, it's been a while. Gregory of Nyssa uh, has the same concept. And uh, if you read, uh, who's another you know, great 
Christian mm-hmm. mystic and formulator of Nicene theology. But in his book on the soul and the resurrection, he also talks about the this kind of eternal growth, right, of the mm-hmm. soul into God. And I think he actually, I know at least some theologians have related that concept to when Paul talks about um, how we'll be transformed into like from one glory to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Paul. Yeah. So that's it's an interesting idea because a lot of our longings have to do with adventure growth, but it doesn't seem like we can actually fulfill the true hero's journey in this lifetime. Yeah, a boundless horizon, right? Yeah. There's always some further further glory just around the river bend. <laughs> and it's true. We we it goes back to the the infinite nature of God who is existence itself and how since we're finite beings we're never going to grasp god fully he's always going to be a mystery and he's always going to be like beckoning us further and further and further into like deeper and deeper deeper places and more and more and more adventures and and, and more and more revelation it's it's like this eternal journey forward mm-hmm. it's like we're never going to get to a place where we know it all or we've experienced it all or we have it all under control. It's always going to be this mysterious adventure forward into God's life, into into deeper and deeper realizations of of God and his love and what he has for us. And we do have a longing for like a conclusion, like a true ending too. So I feel like the journey and the ending will somehow like be the same. The ultimate conclusion will somehow be embedded within the journey. Like you can fulfill both at once. Cause I feel like we yeah. have it in our hearts for a continual journey and for this great sort of ending. I feel like that's yes. like Frodo and Bilbo at the gray Havens. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good analogy, which is, I mean, I it's think basically I'm ready for one last adventure. It's like an analogy for death too. So it works nicely in this case. Yeah. Just as a little sidebar, I've been re-diving into Lord of the Rings and the films through like YouTube videos, talk like analyzing like Howard Shore's score and what makes it so great and what makes the story so good and the characters. And it's like I forgot how how much I love Lord of the Rings. And so just as a little sidebar, we need to hit a Lord of the Rings episode at some point. So. I feel like that's such a massive thing that it needs to be utter perfection. That's why yeah. I it. Needs that to is be a, a massive, trilogy, just like the actual movie. That's a massive undertaking. Um, anyway, so let's continue off the the format that I was using last episode for exploring this idea of dreams and how it relates to our Christian faith by doing what we love to do on this podcast, and that is see examples of this idea and of this concept in pop culture and in in art, and in this case, majority of which will be films. So, Tori, what film would you like to discuss first with this idea of our dreams? Well, I really wanted to do Moana with her grandma, but because (laughs) I'm the only one who's familiar with it, I will tell you, theologizers, to go look it up yourself. Tori, what you can do a mini a mini sode just by yourself yeah. on Moana. Here's our first <laughs> mini section of this podcast on Moana presented by Tori. Yes. I mean all Disney's are about dreams, but something about like the way her grandma lives life 
and the wisdom she passes on to her. I feel like there's something there, but so just go check it out. Um, no, Tori, how does her grandma live life? Just give us a brief, give us the brief example. So she actually reminds me of my grandma. We called her uh, Grandmama. <laughs> She's this like quirky outsider a little bit in the their society. So Moana, you know, it takes place in like the Hawaiian islands like way back when and she's this like free spirit and she just loves life she loves the sea and she just she doesn't really like go along with the, tra- the traditional expectation and Moana's drawn to her because she has that similar spirit and you have a song where the dad is trying to convince Moana your job is to be the chief you know you have responsibilities You'll learn to be happy where you are, like bloom where you're planted. And the grandma sings to her something different. She says, I like how the water is mischievous. I like how it misbehaves. Talking about the waves. And she says, oh, the village might think I'm crazy or that I go too far. But once you know what you like, then there you are. She just speaks to the dream inside of her. Listen to your father. Respect him. But remember that little voice inside you. That's who you are. She reinforces that that is something profound in her. I like to dance with the water, the undertow and the waves. The water is mischievous. <laughs> I like how it misbehaves. The village may think I'm crazy or say that I drift too far. But once you know what you like, well, there you are. It's not just something that she should suppress. Like, it's just like a selfish whim. And, and there's others, like, there's, like, she, she sings, like, a reprise to her after the grandma passes in the movie, in which she brings Moana back. Because Moana's dreams are represented by the sea. You know, she says, no one knows how far it goes. This unreachable, longing joy. Mm-hmm. It's like and, what we were just talking about. Exactly. And, and the grandma always beckons her to listen to that voice that calls her to that. She doesn't say neglect your responsibilities, but remember that that's significant and that that little voice in your head, that longing is actually leading you to your destiny and what you were meant to fulfill. Yeah, that's awesome. It makes me want to watch the movie again and really hone in on, on the grandma's character more and her relationship with Moana and that theme. What about old, old Mother Willow? Why can't she get some love? <laughs> I love Mother Willow. Did Ben just just throw a curveball and just like bring in from the the bench like into the game, Grandmother Willow? Yo, <laughs> oh, 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 Grandmother Willow is like um, oh, what's uh, is like Brad Calipari, right? He's oh, <laughs> he's a he's a great he's a great guy, but you know he's on the bench the whole season, but then at the last second, you know, we're already up right in this conversation by 20 points so i'm like just get in there old grandma willow you know just get in there throw some shots it's your time to shine ben's obscure brad calipari reference (laughs) i'm sorry i have some kentucky references uk grandmother willow is it does play essentially the same role that moana's grandma plays oh yeah that's what i figured are you saying are you saying our grandma our grandma grandmother willow and old lady jenkins from moana are the same person tori they have the same soul, Brett. Yeah. They unashamedly love what they love and have a passion you, for life. And people X-Files. think they're kind of people <laughs> think they're kind of quirky. They're on the fringes. In this case, um, the tree is literally like on the outside. Can't really go anywhere on the outside yeah. of society. True that. True that. 
So let's let's uh, keep it at Disney, and let's bring Man, up. Brett has some hard restrictions. Brett's drawing a line in the sand. Well, what I'm saying is, is we're we're on the <laughs> Disney train, Ben. Rafiki's not driving it this time. I'm driving it. Okay? I want to talk about I want to talk about Brad Calipari some more. <laughs> his, his style and how that relates to our infinite longings. No one listening knows who Brad Calipari is, besides a few people, probably. I don't he's know a, who he is. He is Coach Calipari, who's the head coach of the University of Kentucky basketball. It's his son, and he's just on the team because he's Coach Cal's son. And he doesn't get any. He doesn't get any playing time. He he sits all the way on the end of the bench and he slaps people's butt as they come in and off the bench. And every once in a while, when they're up by fifty points, he'll come in for a second or two. Speaking of slapping butts, is my memory off, or does Grandmother Willow slap John Smith's butt? Oh yeah, I think he does. She's like, ooh, he's a hottie. <laughs> she she, co- she cops a little grandma feel, man. She digs herself a little grandmother, or grandmother little digs herself a little John Smith, I should say. So, let's, like I said, stay on the Disney train, and let's talk about a movie where the sequel just came out fairly recently, and that is Mary Poppins. In particular, Mary Poppins Returns, which and I thought then- was pretty good it was very good Ben, the reprobate he is never saw it ben you haven't seen mary poppins returns i've only seen the og poppins man dude well the poppins we're gonna be popping today is mainly gonna be on on returns okay Mm -hmm. well i I guess i'll listen and learn then toots oh man okay okay so the the second mary poppins takes place when the bank's children are all grown up uh, they're Michael and Jane are their names, and Michael uh, lives actually in the same house that they lived in when they were a kid, Cherry Tree Lane in London, and he has I want to say three kids, and his wife has his wife has recently passed away, and his sister Jane she I think she lives nearby and she's single, but ends up actually getting with the. Uh, the lamplighter, uh, Mr. <laughs> Man- Manuel, Mis- Mr. Uh, what, what's his, what, what's that? Thing? Hamilton, Hamilton. Yes. Yeah, speaking of Moana, he actually wrote the lyrics for Moana. Yeah, yeah. Lin Manuel. Mm. So Mary Poppins, as the title suggests, returns. She but does. this time, this time, she is. Well, actually, I wouldn't say this time. She pretty much has this a similar mission as the first time because you think that she's coming to help the, the children, right? she says, oh, I'm here for the Banks kids. Yes. But they throw you a loop there. In reality, she's there for the OG Banks kids, mm-hmm. Michael and Jane, who are now adults. Just like in the original, it seemed almost like she was coming for the kids, but she was really coming for the father. Yes. Um, so the reason that is so important is because it's the adults in the film that need saving. And I think that is a direct correlation to reality in this world where the, most of the people who need the deepest saving and the deepest redemption to, to come back into their, that dreamlike place where we belong is adults. Because yeah. we're the ones who have been wounded by, by life and mm-hmm. end up getting into these places in life where we feel so 
weighed down that we just we feel like we 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 don't have the liberty to dream anymore to have that that childlike wonder or reliance on something bigger than ourselves and uh that's what mary poppins comes to save in the banks children but tori Mm -hmm. um why are why are the banks children in need of this what what's their current predicament okay well their current predicament is that um like as Michael is now a single father and he's having a hard time raising the three kids and running the house. So I guess they're behind on payments. A typical story, they're going to lose their house. And so Michael's just trying to juggle 6,000 balls and, you know, they're starting to drop and he's at his wit's end. And he's forgotten. He doesn't even believe what happened with Mary Poppins when he was a child actually happened. You know, they mentioned, oh, the adults will forget. They always do. Because that eventually, no matter how powerful it was, as you get older, those things tend to downplay them. He's also, yeah. you know, just as an adult with an adult mind, you know, because you more think about the future, you are more like ruminating and worrying. You don't have that simple mind where you can live in the moment. You're also, you know, like self-conscious, self-monitoring, all those things that happen when our brain develops, I feel like actually work against being able to reach that idealist dream place. For an adult brain, you have to fight against that. And that's just my own two cents. Yeah. I think the reason we do that is because we realize as we get older that the world is full of disappointment. I think when when we really get to a place where that fact of life sinks in, mm-hmm. we, we feel like we need to start protecting ourselves yes. ag- against disappointment because that's a, that's a really deep cut, the cut of, of disappointment mm-hmm. of, of hopes not coming to fruition. And we go into survival mode to defend our hearts Definitely. against that. So, we start to think, and after a few times when that happens, we, we say, we like, man, we need to learn how to protect ourselves. And so we stop opening up our, our hope and our heart as much. We kind of keep it a little, we keep it more contained, more mm-hmm. under control to defend against the slings and arrows of life that inevitably come all of our way. And, the slings and arrows of, of disappointment of just any circumstantial thing that comes our way. We just realize how uncertain life is, you know, that at any moment Mm. stuff can go, can go sideways and can go downhill fast. And we're just desperately trying to protect our souls and our hearts from getting wounded more because the more we feel like, I think we open up our heart to those dreams and to that more innocent mind we're just opening our up to get opening ourselves up to get hurt and get wounded even even deeper. Yeah, that makes sense why we all do that. But when we talk about our Christian faith, it's not just a set of doctrines. It's it's supposed to be a life changing thing. Yeah, it's it's supposed to touch every aspect of our life. It's supposed to go into the wounds, into the disappointment, into every nook and cranny, and redeem it from the inside out. And that's why we're we're focusing on this topic for these couple episodes of our, our dreams, because I think those are one of the casualties of war in this broken mm-hmm. world. I, I just want to say it's clarification. When we're talking about dreams, we're not necessarily talking about very specific, I want to be a rock, you know, 
I want to be a fire truck driver. Yeah, we're we're talking about dreams that we believe. That that person, sorry, that person, (laughs) (laughs) the moment that they die, they they see Jesus pull up in a fire truck and he's like, (laughs) hop on in, son. (laughs) Well done, my good and faithful servant. You can even put on the fire alarm. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about more of that general longing that manifests itself in specifics that we believe that God put in our hearts because it's meant to be fulfilled in some form, even if it's not the form we think. Could I read, if you wouldn't mind, Brent, while we're on the topic, could I read lyrics from an Arcade Fire song called Wake Up? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, but can can we finish up Mary Poppins first real quick? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, you can do that after. I would just say real quick that I think Mary Poppins is like a Christ-like figure. Like mm-hmm. she she enters the bank's world from the sky and brings back the wonder to the children. I think that's what Christ wants to do in our hearts and our lives when we receive him into our life and into our heart. Mm-hmm. I believe he's very Mary Poppins-esque or he's coming into our brokenness and our shattered worlds, and he's coming in to restore us into that place where we can dream Mm -hmm. again. And one song that I like from Mary Poppins Returns is Where the Lost Things Go. Do you ever lie awake at night? Just between the dark and the morning light Searching for the things you used to know Looking for the place where the lost things go That song is is not a resolution to, hey, this is where the lost things are, but it has this lullaby, this peace, and this comfort that's in Mary Poppins' voice as she sings it, that I think brings that wave of peace to the Banks children when they receive receive that lullaby from Mary Poppins. And, and I think that's how Christ operates in our life too. He's not gonna give us all the answers, but he sings to us where the lost things go, which is almost like uh, the, this song that speaks to this idea that Christ in the movie that Mary Poppins has the knowledge has it under control and we're to rely on them and to trust them mm-hmm. um so tori what are the lyrics to that song they have to do with as you get older and you lose things that are important to you in this case it's focused on the mother but i feel like the lyrics speak to more of a general crushing of the dreams it talks about how things are never really lost they're always there to be rediscovered so i'll read it Do you ever lie awake at night, just between the dark and the morning light, searching for the things you used to know, looking for the place where the lost things go? Do you ever dream or reminisce, wondering where to find what you truly miss? Well, maybe all those things that you love so are waiting in the place where the lost things go. Memories you've shed, gone for good you feared. They're all around you still, though they've disappeared. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So maybe now the dish and my best spoon are playing hide and seek just behind the moon, waiting there until it's time to show. Spring is like that now, far beneath the snow, hiding in the place where the lost things go. 
So the idea is, I, in terms of dreams, even though you think that these things are lost, they're not lost. Those are real parts of you. You don't actually lose that childlike. Mm -hmm. The child in you is never truly lost. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's gone. I like yeah. the analogy of the spring beneath the snow. Those are great yeah. lyrics. So I just actually stumbled upon a uh, Gregory of Nyssa quote that seems oddly similar to the lyrics that you're talking about and this yeah. whole concept where uh, Gregory says, hope always draws the soul from, from the beauty which is seen to what is beyond, always kindles the desire for the hidden through what is constantly perceived. Therefore, the ardent lover of beauty although receiving what is always visible as an image of what he desires, yet longs to be filled with the very stamp of the archetype. Mm, I like that a lot. Because I feel like in many ways, because I've brought this up in other contexts, the meaning of everything can be, is like condensed into the passion and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Everything can be related back to that. It's like the, the sentence that interprets the rest of the cosmos and the rest of history because i was thinking about how you see this movement of dreams and longings and the death of dreams and the restoration of dreams in mm -hmm. the passion and resurrection narrative mm -hmm. the big dream everyone had for christ as the messiah was that he would be a, a military leader right you'd restore mm -hmm. the kingdom to independence to israel get them out of their exile, spiritual exile under the Romans. Mm -hmm. um, and then that dream was dashed when Jesus, or seemingly when Jesus was arrested and, and crucified. And you even see, again, on the cross with Jesus' cry of dereliction, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus himself is participating in the human experience of, on every level, but also on this level, you could say uh, the, the death the feeling of the death of a dream, mm. the the death of something that was supposed to happen and is not happening. Mm -hmm. So Jesus in his human nature is like, why have you abandoned me? I thought I was <laughs> your mm -hmm. son. But of course, we see after the resurrection and retrospectively, the disciples could see that. It's also the case that the dreams, the many of the ways in which they dreamed initially were false. They were bad dreams that would have mm -hmm. resulted in nightmares, and they had to be dispelled of those dreams. The dreams of a political messiah had to be crucified. Yeah, it wasn't that it was completely off base. It started yeah. from the seed of truth that yeah. they wanted him to redeem and save them, but yeah. we put our earthly ideas onto it. Exactly. So for the true seed to grow into what it was meant to be, the distortion, exactly. the weeds had to be picked. And that's like Gregory of Nyssa's quote. He says, uh, uh, hope always draws the soul from the beauty which is seen to what is beyond, kindles the desire for the hidden through what is constantly perceived. So there's this di dynamic between the stuff about restoring the kingdom to Israel and all these things associated with the Messiah in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. These are all images mm -hmm. of a spiritual reality. Yeah. And they're, and they're mistaking the image for the deeper reality that the yes. spirit was trying to reveal. But then, so of course, when Jesus rises from the dead, he he restores the dream of humanity in his own person. Human nature is resurrected in Christ, and people, and that fulfills the real longing behind all of the mm -hmm. particular longings we think yes. are it. The real dream is fulfilled. And then on the road to Emmaus, this is finally 
consummated, you know, the two um, disciples on the road to Emmaus are despondent. They're like, you know, we, we thought he was the one, but mm. our dreams were dashed. Haven't you heard what's gone on in the last few days in Jerusalem? And Jesus finally reveals himself to them where, and he has, and with the breaking of the bread, but he has a meal with them. And then they're like, oh, we're not our hearts burning within us. And I feel like you could like that's like the deeper longing. Yeah. That's like we thought Jesus was we didn't anticipate the resurrection. We thought he was going to be this political leader. But even before we recognized the full reality, just being in his presence, our heart were, hearts were burning within us. We, we recognized the deeper desire. Yeah. That and, was really there, which is just the the presence of God in Christ. And it looks like, like you want to say something, Brett. You want to add to that? Well, I would just say real quick, I think mm-hmm. that like perfectly encapsulates within our Christian faith what I was trying to convey last episode, which was mm-hmm. how when we give our dreams to Christ in our adult lives, these dreams mm-hmm. that we've had since we were young, that he redeems them and, and like what you're saying, Ben, is almost purifies them into what they actually are, what they're actually meant to be. Yeah. So that's why we make the distinction between we're not just going back to a dream that we had in our childhood. That's where the dream was birthed, then gets wounded. But then God takes that dream and he refines it, purifies it, redeems it into its actuality. Mm-hmm. And that's why we say that the end game of our dreams is infinitely more than we could ever imagined when our dreams were those seedling dreams and sometimes we can't realize that until we go to golgotha in many ways Mm -hmm. in our lives right we we have to we have to put to death all of the false things that we've misidentified yeah yeah so i guess taking a little back to mary poppins so the whole thing is she comes to save michael from this discouragement and what she's essentially doing she she says she leaves when the door opens again. I think that was the analogy. And so that's when you realize that it was for Michael. So by opening the door, it's essentially she leaves once he's able to regain that childhood sense of wonder in belief. And once he returns to that, and once he isn't so filled with worry, but he's filled with trust that things will work out and he has love he needs, but he's able to return to that dream of childhood. Then she leaves and she says her mission is fulfilled. Definitely. The only difference there is God ain't leaving us. He's not going up into the sky. <laughs> he's, he's with us forever. Right. Mary Poppins never leaves you. She's always creeping about <laughs> that, <laughs> in the if, bushes if you ever, outside your house. If you ever have an umbrella that starts following you with a parrot head, that's Mary Poppins watchdog. <laughs> yeah, just, just, a, just a levitating parrot head umbrella, wherever you yes. go, just following close behind. But hey, even that, if we had to relate it to something. Holy Spirit. It's, exa- it's the, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the ascension where Jesus is like, hey, I, yeah, unless, I, unless I leave you, I can't send the Holy Spirit. Good point. That's an excellent point. So another, or Tori, did you want to read the arcade fire lyrics? I was lyrics? just about to ask before we move on. Go ahead, Tor. I think we could we could actually do a whole episode on. Why don't yeah? Why don't we say like can we do an episode on Arcade Fire? No, well, no. Read the Wake Up lyrics because I think we should do an album episode on the suburbs. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Arcade Fire. But this one is so relevant because we're talking about dreams. 
we're focusing on as a child is first and it, it's in you and then how it gets crushed when you're older and this is this song is just too perfect for this episode for sure sure go okay ahead. so let's go ahead and read the lyrics something filled up my heart with nothing someone told me not to cry and now that i'm older my heart's colder and i can oh and i can see that it's a lie children wake up wake up before they turn the summer into dust if the children don't grow up our bodies get bigger but our hearts get torn up we're just a million little gods causing rainstorms turning every good thing to rust i guess we'll just have to adjust with my lightning bolts a-glowing i can see where i am going when the reaper he reaches and touches my hand with my lightning bolts a-glowing, I can see where I am going. And then it repeats. And it says, you better look out below. Yeah, it's a great, great song. It is. I like that he mentions that we cause the rainstorms that turn the good things to rust. Over time, by trying to control the dream or fulfill it on our own or be self-protective, you know, we eventually wear it down. I love the lyric, well, I guess we'll just have to adjust, because that's the yeah. attitude we end up all having to come to at some point. Well, I guess we'll just have to live with it. Yeah. You know, that we constantly have so to say true. that to ourselves as we get older and older, we're constantly having that little moment. I guess we'll just have to adjust. I guess we'll just have yeah. to accept. And, you and that, that theme is actually like a consistent theme throughout all of Arcade Fire's work. That's why I think we should do an episode on the suburbs, because that album, especially as a whole, is thematically related to the loss of innocence and nostalgia and those sorts of things. Yes, very true. And I like the first lyric, something filled up nothing. It's almost like you just like realize it over time. Like something just emptied me out and then someone told me not to cry. You know, you're not expected to mourn that. You're expected that you've grown up, you move past that yeah. and the dreams get devalued as some silly fantasy and not some real deep desire implanted in you by god that it does have a fulfillment even if it's not how you thought it was going to look it does have a real fulfillment mm -hmm. so that's the lyrics go check out arcade fire they're very very good okay. i'm definitely down to do a episode on uh, the name is they called the neighborhood suburbs Oh, the suburbs. suburbs. The suburbs. Yeah, well, the, the first album was called Neighbor. Neighbor. Wasn't it called The Neighborhood? Neighborhoods or something? I, no, 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 I, no, 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 no. The first, the first album was called Funeral. I, I think no, there were songs. There were songs song. called Neighbor. In, in the suburbs, I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember. It is, there is a neighborhood involved with the architecture. <laughs> true, true. I wasn't totally off base on that. So, guys, are you ready to hear the beautiful belting voice of Celine Dion singing her most iconic song of the last 30 years, My Heart Will Go On.
Love it or you hate it. Yeah. Titanic. Now there's another movie that deals with with dreams. And like so many of these movies have a Christ-like character in it. Yep. That beckons the broken person into the open space of adventure and dreams and out of the brokenness, out of the woundedness and the complacency. In this case, the one who is broken is Rose in Titanic. So Ben, you've actually seen this movie. So yes. why don't you? Why don't you? <laughs> Many uh, times. Take the helm. Tor or Ben, why is Rose a broken person at the beginning of Titanic? Because she's trapped in a marriage. I'm not sure if it was implied engagement. engagement sorry, yeah, in an engagement. With the an ultimate cow, cow. an <laughs> ultimate bourgeois <laughs> guy. Dolly. I, I bought it for you. It's the most expensive diamond in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who just you know views her as an arm piece, and but you can tell that she has more of a open spirit. She's more she's opinionated, you know, and she feels trapped in this um probably arranged engagement. Yeah, I think the story is that her mom is forcing her into it because they yeah. lost all their money and they're trying to hide it. So oh, yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, I, for, I forgot about that little piece of the story, too, with the loss of the money. And so she feels obligated to keep, you know, basically for her mother's sake. We need to keep up this lifestyle. She's like, oh, you don't want to see me, you know, have to beg or go to the yeah. guilt trips or into doing this. And then who comes in? Who's the Mary Poppins of Titanic? None other than Leonardo DiCaprio. Man, Leo Leo Fever in 1997. Mm-hmm. So yo, yeah, I, yo, I've had Leo Fever ever since. I was about to say, <laughs> I have Le- I have older Leo Fever. I I still have me some Leo Fever, man. When uh, when, when I see Leo's def- face, Leo's definitely a fine wine. Yeah, when I see Leo's face, I start to have like a, a, some hot flashes, man. Some, some <laughs> Leo fever hot flashes. So in this movie, his also name... we should do an episode on uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh that, yeah, that was I thought there's a lot of layers to that movie. Tarantino I in general. Love, yeah. I love that movie. I loved it too. You know another Tarantino movie I just saw that's really good. You guys both need to watch it on Netflix. It's Jackie Brown. Have you guys seen it? It's one of the few of his I haven't seen. I know it's yeah, one of. Yeah familiar ones really good you guys should see it anyway leo's character in titanic is jack of course we all know the scene where rose meets jack when she's contemplating suicide she's at her rock bottom moment she's at her moment of hearkening back to our u2 episode on the joshua tree the song exit she's at that place contemplating suicide on the verge of plunging off the ship into the icy waters of the northern Atlantic. And then who shows up, just like Christ shows up in our life? Who shows up right in the nick of time? It's Jack. And he talks her off the balcony, gets her back on the ship. Don't do it. Stay back. Don't come any closer. Come on. 
Just give me your hand. I'll pull you back over. No! Stay where you are! I mean it! I'll let go! No, you won't. What do you mean, no, I won't? Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Well, you would have done it already. You're distracting me. Go away. I can't. I'm involved now. You let go and I'm, I'm going to have to jump in there after you. Don't be absurd. You'll be killed. I'm a good swimmer. The fall alone would kill you. It would hurt. I'm not saying it wouldn't. Tell you the truth, I'm a lot more concerned about that water being so cold. How cold? Freezing. Maybe a couple degrees over. You ever, uh, ever been to Wisconsin? What? Well, they have some of the coldest winters around. I grew up there near Chippewa Falls. I remember when I was a kid, me and my father, we went ice fishing out on Lake Wissota. Ice fishing is, you know where you- I know what ice fishing is. <sighs> Sorry. You just seem like, you know, kind of an indoor girl. Anyway, I, uh, I fell through some thin ice. And I'm telling you, water that cold, like right down there, it hits you like a thousand knives stabbing you all over your body. You can't breathe, you can't think. At least not about anything but the pain. Which is why I'm not looking forward to jumping in there after you. Like I said, I don't have a choice. I guess I'm kind of hoping you'll come back over the rail and, and get me off the hook here. You're crazy. That's what everybody says, but... With all due respect, miss, I'm not the one hanging off the back of the ship here. Come on. Come on, give me your hand. You don't want to do this. Jack Dawson. Rose do it, big hitter. I have to get you to write that one down. <laughs> and the, the remainder of the story is the relationship between Rose and Jack. Outside of the Titanic sinking, it's the relation, the love uh, and romantic story between Rose and Jack and how they come from completely different backgrounds. Rose actually comes from a background where society would say is the the mm-hmm. the clear privileged better background, and Jack comes from the background that society would say is is the loser background, the the po- poverty, mm-hmm. you know, not a penny, not not a penny, two pennies to rub against each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and b- before we move on too much, speaking of Leo as like the Christ figure in this case. Because who better to play Christ than Leo, I think. <laughs> but um, 
you know how you say we love Christ because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. It's like before he even knew her or before she knew him, he said, you jump, I jump. Oh, yeah. I think that was a really profound the way he stepped into her life and he says you know you don't know me you don't have a relationship but if you jump i will jump with you yeah he initiates the relationship through an act of sacrifice yeah yeah you know what else i think is cool going on that that idea tori is Mm -hmm. jack sees rose from a distance before that encounter Mm -hmm. and they don't explicitly say he falls in love immediately but almost has that tone to it where he, he immediately is taken with with her as he sees her across the the ship one day and i feel like that is something that we don't normally flesh out a lot as far as thinking about how much god loves us and longs to be in a relationship with us that while like you guys are saying while we were yet sinners you know while rose was yet oblivious to jack going about her thing doing her own thing on the ship Jack is already longing to mm-hmm. meet her, longing yes. to engage with her. And you could you could you could see that in God's love for us. And I think that's a way that we don't normally think about God. That's true. His love for us is he sees us. He longs for us to 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 turn around. He longs to encounter us, to engage us, to fall in for 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 us to fall back in love with him. Like it's like this total one-sided thing where while we're in life doing our own thing, not thinking about God at all, he is always there just desiring so bad out of his heart to come into that relationship with us. You know, that free will he's implanted in his creatures that he's freely given us to make a choice. And he's just looking on us with with that deep affection and love before we even turn around and, and invite him into our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a really good way to look at it. Well, this makes me think of a part of Paul's speech at the Areopagus in Athens. The whole thing is good. It's short. I'll I'll just read it. But it's the ending that relates to this. He says, uh, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Just that idea that God has orchestrated providentially everyone's life so that they'd be in a position to seek him, and he is constantly Mm -hmm. near them and trying to draw them to himself. Yes, the hound of heaven. Yes. That could be a whole episode, that poem. Yeah, yeah, that's such a a beautiful image. I think it's so hard for us to grasp the affection and the love that God has for us. 
especially in like since in Christian culture and circles, it's said so much. It's been like so watered down that it's just it just becomes words to us. You know, God loves you. Oh yeah, sure, okay, yeah, that's what they say. But it's almost like we need these different ways of getting at His love mm-hmm. for us to really yeah. realize the how profound it is. Yeah, we need especially our, because I, love just means it's, it's so been sentimentalized and overly emotionalized that. It just has this almost superficial ring to it. Yeah. But I've also heard the opposite, where they try to make love just seem like... They almost remove the emotion too much into it, counter it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... Like, I've, I've heard where they'll describe it like... Like, I like the love as a verb thing, but sometimes they love is doing it just because he is good. Mm-hmm. And there's not, like, a, a deeper... Personal affection. Yeah, yeah. exactly, because mm-hmm. affection... But in my mind, there's the superficial emotions, and then there's the deeper rooted yes. emotions. You know, yes. emotions aren't a a bad thing. To say that God has an emotion towards us, it's not a bad thing. We just it's been distorted because of our experience with it. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. In, in, in the shack, there's a phrase that's used. The book, the shack, and it's uh, it kind of helps with this. It's not I love. They don't use the word I love you. God says I'm especially fond of you. Yeah. So it like personalizes it yes. to us as individual creatures. Yeah. Rather than love can almost seem like, oh, God loves everyone, just like the rain falls on the earth, you know. Yeah, he has to love everyone. Exactly. I am particularly, he doesn't like you. I'm particularly fond of Tori. Yeah. yeah. Like, especially it, fond of Ben. Right. Well, it's like how. Works, what makes them different right. from a, an individual person. Yeah. So, like, when Paul is preaching about the cross. He's, he usually is talking about it in corporate terms, in cosmic terms, but then you get more of a window into his own spiritual life, I think in Philippians, where he, he describes it as, he describes Christ as the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Entirely That's personal. True. Very yes. true. So yeah, just to wrap up the Titanic segment here, Jack is living life in freedom. He doesn't he's not he's not rich, doesn't have a whole lot to his name, but he's living completely free, adventurous life, traveling from place to place uh, as an artist and he's just going to America on the Titanic cuz he won a ticket through a game of poker. He doesn't know what's coming next. It's like this spontaneous adventure that I, that we all long for. Uh, as much as we like to keep life under control, I think if we're all in all of our deepest selves, we do long for the adventure. And he rescues Rose out of that, brings her into his life, and then eventually, like Christ, sacrifices himself for her. When the Titanic sinks, he finds a piece of a bed or a board that to let it's her... like a plank of wood, like the cross. Yeah, yeah to, 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 to place her on it out of the icy cold water so she survives and he stays in and sacrifices himself and is there. Uh, so very, a very Christ-like move, too, at the end of Titanic, where mm-hmm. Jack sacrifices himself for Rose. And then she's and, filled with the Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, and she mm-hmm. goes on and she lives the fulfilled life. Yeah. So... What better song, what better song, making a transition to speak to how we feel 
so many times in life with our shattered dreams, our broken dreams, then I dreamed a dream from mm-hmm. Les, Les Miserables. There was a time when men were kind, when their voices were soft, and their words inviting. There was a time when love was blind, and the world was a song, and the song was exciting. There was a time. Then it all went wrong. Oh, 
That one will break your heart. <laughs> and Hathaway version. She uh, she nails the emotion in that one. Yeah. yeah. I think we've all been at this moment. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every human being gets to this moment. It's, it's a sacred moment. I know what it's, you mean. It, it's a dark moment, but it's a sacred moment. There's something about getting to your to the end of the rope it's almost like it's worse to be sliding down the rope yes. than to be at the end of the rope because you yeah. realize the the truths of things i think at the end of the rope yeah i think your your eyes are more opened and it's also the moment that you realize you have no control yes yes so you're no longer engaged in that endless process right fighting to, yeah to hold sand right between yeah <laughs> yes very true I think that reveals exactly what you're saying, but I think that reveals that we're, we're not meant to control. We're not that we're not. That's not that's not what we're supposed to do as humans. We're not we're not meant to control. Yet so much of our lives is taken up with trying to control everything. Yeah, it's hard because because you know a lot of the of life requires a sense of mm-hmm. con- you know you control that's how you you're productive in life that's how you you have a sense of self-preservation but at the same time i i truly believe christ wants to get us to a place where we can somehow be children again and and kind of give our lives to him i don't know i don't that yeah yes. It's not so much what you're doing. It's more the attitude you have, the anxiety yeah. of the I need to make this happen. Yeah, it's in my it's in my hands. It, it's more of the than it is actually controlling because you can do that and still have faith that things will work out and in God. But you're still just doing the necessary planning or whatever. But then there's that attitude that we all have of it's, it's all on me and you're an, you're anxious about it because you feel like. If I don't do it, if I don't do it, no no one will do it or nothing's going to happen. Yeah. As opposed to thinking that we're just God's temporary co-workers Mm -hmm. that, no, actually God has vested all of his authority in us and we don't, (laughs) the whole universe is going to (laughs) implode. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's the weight. It's the weight on the shoulders. And going back to that moment that Anne had, that, uh, what's it, what's the character again? Is it, um... Fantine? Fantine? Yeah, Fantine. It's that that moment, like you said, Ben, uh, where, where Fantine comes to that place of total relinquishing of control. It's like, man, there, there's just something about it. I don't know. It's like the, it's like so such a bittersweet moment because it's 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 rock bottom, but it is there. There is something to be said about completely relinquishing. Mm-hmm. Any sort of control at all. She's acknowledging the truth of the dream. Mm-hmm. And she's at least surrendering to the situation. And to mourn something, you have to believe it exists. She's acknowledging the dream. 
She's not like downplaying it. She's not Mm -hmm. scoffing at it or, oh, that was stupid for me to believe. You know, she's mourning it like you would lose something. And she's completely putting herself in a place of surrender where she's just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, no, you're saying, well, I felt, (laughs) a ton of you guys have felt in your life. I've had many a moment like that in my life. It's always a moment of, even though sometimes it sucks, like it's always kind of a moment of freedom, of Mm -hmm. a relief, of a, a release Mm-hmm. you know yeah i'm just saying screw it it's like it's always a more like screw it all i can't i can't do this mm-hmm. i i have no expectation anymore <laughs> yeah. it's all it's all gone to crap i give up and then it's a very it's, humbling stance that you're exactly doing. and i always feel like follow following moments like that at least for a brief period right yeah <laughs> trivial things just don't bother you as much like yes and you just you there's an inkling of truth in the resigned despair that you're in. So it's the resignedness is the truth, but the despair shouldn't be there. But, you know, like yeah. you'll go about your day after a moment like that and people are being jerks and this and that usual stuff. And you just don't care. Right? Yes. You don't yes. care after a moment like that because you realize just like, you know, Ecclesiastes style vanity of vanities. It doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you, you have more of a perspective where you see what matters. Exactly. You, you're seeing well, so more it's, clarity. The, it's the first mm-hmm. step, because even though you're in despair, the first step is realizing what doesn't matter. Right? Yes. Yes. And then God yes. can show God can show you what does. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right, Ben, you want to bring it home? Bring the uh, second episode of The Dream home with uh, little C.S. Lewis. Yes, I will. All right, the ball has been passed to me on this dream team, and I'm about to go in C.S. Lewis. Brent, uh, ben and C.S. Lewis are are about to take the ball down the court and do, and Ben's going to do the alley oop. C.S. Lewis is going to do the dunk. <laughs> so this is a quote we've quoted part other parts of this sermon before. A famous sermon that C.S. Lewis gave called "The Weight of Glory," that I also very highly recommend. You could read it in like 20 minutes. One of the best things he's ever composed. But I thought this related to this whole conversation and when Brett was initially talking to me about this idea over the phone, it kind of made me think of the weight of glory. And this particular quote we both thought was was on point. So this is what he says. He says, if you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. 
Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Mm. That's a great one. So good. Listen to the whole sermon recently, like start to, to finish, because I, I heard a lot of quotes from it. I, I think the conversation that me and Ben were having over the phone that made Ben think of this passage from the weight of glory is how so much of Christianity today talks about the Christian life being a life where you have to just constantly deny yourself this kind of unselfishness like this negative mm-hmm. uh being the uh it's inherently the, good to suffer and to go without yes yes like but but that being like the primary yes purpose mm-hmm. of the christian walk and and what this quote from c.s lewis speaks to is is this call to redeem what the actual primary purpose is, where all these other virtues of unselfishness, stuff like that, fall into their rightful place, is this offensive fullness mm-hmm. idea of love. Love is not a deprivation. It's a, it's a fulfillment, more of an aggressive term. Uh. It's to seek it's to seek and to love. It's not mm-hmm. just to deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. And that's been part of the American conscious for a, the, the Christian American subconscious for a long time is this idea of having to just deny and go without. It's getting better in recent years. But for a lot of our history, you know, even going way back to like the Puritans in the 1700s or the like 1600s, that's been deeply ingrained is that it is a good thing to yeah. go without. That idea was uh, self-denial, which, again, is not a bad thing. Mm. It's all about how that's interpreted and and, and what the context of the self-denial. Because if you just think of it as an end in itself, then how can you ever really accomplish it if you're just denying for the sake of denying? You have to know what you're gaining. You have to know the good that's being brought about or you'll never be able to truly. Yeah. And that's why we I like that, that we ended on that quote is because that fullness of love directly coordinates to the fullness of dreaming. Because when you think of dreaming, it's never a deprivation. It's never mm-hmm. a denial. It's a it's a it's a it's a full term. It's a mm-hmm. it's a, a forward thinking term, a, a, a movement yeah, it directly correlates to the, the idea of love being the end-all, say-all of the Christian faith. And people associate Christianity with taking away, not adding. Like, the whole point yes. is to remove bads, not to add goods. The whole point is to don't do this, take away that, deny this. And that's why I think so many people stay away from Christianity, because mm-hmm. they're like, why would I want to go to a faith that just is going to take everything away from me? Mm-hmm. But we don't realize what... Christ giving himself 
to us in place of what we take away really means. That's not really unpacked. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from Christ. So that helps us get at what Jesus is all about. He is all that is beautiful. He is all that is truth, all that is goodness. That's a pretty uh, pretty big thing to be given as we deny mm. ourselves, you know. But I think we think of Christ in a more small way. So we're like, okay, we'll deny ourselves for Christ. We don't even really know what that means. Yeah, what, Christ... does he, what does he gain by us denying ourselves? Exactly, exactly. So that's why I think it's just so important to, to recapture and to remind ourselves about how important it is in our life to not just not do bad things, not just refrain from certain mm-hmm. things, but to live a life of fullness, the fullness mm-hmm. of life that God wants to give us, that fullness of love. As we grow in that, we'll just start to overflow from us into other people's lives and everyone that we come in contact with. And then also that dreaming, that hope, that adventure, always on the horizon, God beckoning us forward. That's just something that we so need to, I think, recover in the Christian faith. Yeah, I agree completely. Want to give us our wrap-up? Tori... As much as I want to wrap this up, I did a whole episode by myself. I want a Tory wrap up. I want a Theosis dream wrap up. I'm not, okay, I'm not good with this sort of thing, but I will try. Sure you are, Tori. Go ahead. Okay. So God implants a dream in our heart, or I will just call it like a desire that only he can truly fulfill. And we give it a lot of different forms. We project a lot of things. We see it in a lot of different things. But the true fulfillment is found in Christ. So we think that because we don't find it in these false things, that that dream needs to die. But I think we should enjoy the reflections of it in that around us and acknowledge the fact that while those are true reflections, the true fulfillment will be found in Christ. We need to revitalize that dream because its true form is something that we were born for in Christ, whether it's fulfilled in heaven or if it starts here. I don't know. But we need to live life with that hope and that passion that that is not a silly thing, that those desires you had as a child point to something very, very real. So, you know, it's kind of like Plato's The Cave where we saw the shadows, but we can't comprehend the real form of the thing. God may not fulfill your dream exactly how you pictured it, but it'll be how you truly wanted it ultimately, if you truly were able to see and understand. In my mind, that's a summary of what we were talking about. And Definitely. Beautifully said. Beautifully you, said, Tori. So in case you're wondering why Ben has been quiet the last 10 minutes, <laughs> his, com- he, uh, his computer died. So... <laughs> He kind of fell off the end of the call, but uh, I'm glad that we had him on for the majority of it. (laughs) So uh, anyway, Theologizers, well, thank you for joining us on this part two episode, our first two-parter series on keeping the dream of alive, summarized so beautifully by Tori. Thank you. Tori, I thank you for coming on with us. You're almost becoming a regular at this point. I know. I've become a regular these past 
few episodes. I like it. And we we thank uh, Benny Boy, too, for being on with us. Always great to have all three of us. And eventually we do want to get our other sister on here, Lindsay. Lindsay I know. Um, would bring a, a great perspective onto the podcast. We are so, not a trinity. There is a fourth. We have four of us total. There's so, a, a secret weapon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll bring Lindsay on when the world is prepared for for the for Lindsay, the the tornado of epic theology that Lindsay will be on the uh, podcast. No, <laughs> Lindsay's Lindsay's a sister after my own heart. We think very similarly, and she has some great ideas. I'm sure mm. will contribute a lot when we have her on. So we thank you, theologizers, as always, for joining us for part two, keeping the dream alive uh thank you again tori and ben and uh theologizers have a good time we appreciate you uh listening and uh we'll see you on the next episode bye this is the theo bros podcast